Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in and, as always, believing in me and in this amazing cause and supporting our guests that come on. And, you know, we've got bestsellers, national bestsellers coming on with their books. And, you know, people are out doing amazing things. And I just, it's, it's, it's so great to be able to rub shoulders with people who are doing great things in life. And today's going to be no different. I want to first give a shout out to our sponsors, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Thread Wallets, and uh, we've got a surprise coming up. We've got uh, um, a drink that'll be the official drink of the BeliefCast. Uh, it's from a good friend of mine, but we're not official yet, so I'll wait on that, but that'll be on our next podcast. But uh, grateful for that. Just so much support and so much love, and uh, can't thank you guys enough. I love you. Um, today we are joined by Blue Robinson. Blue, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, brother. Yeah, we were just talking about your name. It's spelled <laughs> B-L-U yeah. without the E. Yep. Um, and I'm kind of from a from a hippie mom that kind of said, hey, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I love the name. I think it's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's not too many of us around, so yeah. it, it kind of does help. Yeah. So, you know, you are doing amazing things, and it's truly an honor. I've been following you for years just from a distance, obviously, but I just love what you're doing and all the good. I um, did you just speak at a school yesterday? Yeah, we spoke at the well the foster kid the foster care of Utah um, conference up in Midway, Utah. Yeah, gorgeous up there. So I get a text from someone who's who was there, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's amazing!" And it was you, and I'm going. <laughs> Hey, you have no idea. This guy's going to be on my podcast That's tomorrow. So, yeah. so it just turned out so good. But again, it just again, a testament to all the good mm. you're doing, right? Yeah. Um, you are the founder and creator of um, Addict to Athlete. Yeah. I want to know more about that and how that started. You bet. Um, you you are a, um, a CMHC. Mm-hmm. You got your substance use disorder counseling certificate, mm-hmm. a degree. You're doing so many good things. Um, I don't even know where to start. So why don't you, you know, you've had your rough times in your life, oh, you've yeah. overcome. I really want to get into that. So let's start with where did you grow up and tell yeah. us a little bit about your family. Uh, you bet. And that's one reason why I love your podcast is because you get into a little bit of a deeper understanding of the people behind the, yeah. the efforts that they're doing. And and it is interesting how the stuff that we thought might have been some of our roadblocks in life can turn into the most amazing catalyst to to purpose. And yeah. I had no idea, um, you know, with the way that I was raised that one day I'd be able to, you know, inspire and move and, <laughs> and help kind of create something that would help people in a, in a pretty interesting way. But uh, I grew up all over the place. I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I'm the fourth of uh, a family of a mother who was married and divorced six times. She got married when she was 14 years old. Oh, wow. So she was a kid having kids. And when you have that, right. you know, kid having kids situation, the the problem starts to arise that she doesn't know how to deal with some of the, the significant issues in life because she didn't really get an opportunity to be an adult. Right. And so when, when we were young and, and moving around and bouncing around, um, she moved us to Grand Forks, North Dakota, where she met my father, and he was in the military. Uh, pretty severe alcoholic. He was a pretty intense guy. And I don't never never knew him because... 
right. you know, one night in the middle of a, a North, uh, a Grand Forks, North Dakota winter, after some abuse that he, she had suffered through at his hands, she packed us all up and, and drove us back here to Utah. But that kind of oh, created wow. a series of, of a lot of moving. In fact, I counted one time that I moved 22 times before I was 18. Wow. And it was kind of like we would be times yeah. where there would be boxes that we never unpacked because yeah. as soon as rent would do, we'd move. Um, and she has a significant issue with substance abuse, mm. you know, okay. the, uh, the, 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 the pill and medicated kind. Sure. But that put her into situations where she got into a lot of abusive relationships. And, you know, all of us kind of kids grew up and were subject to a lot of um it's a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse and some sexual abuse. And the problem that I, mm. I saw was that she preoccupied herself so much with not knowing how to love yeah. and also how to be loved. She just didn't know. Mm. And so all of us kids kind of started having problems. You know, I got into substance abuse at a very early age, you know, through my, my you know, what, you know, 15, 14, 15, 16 years old and kind of felt like this was just the way life was going to be. Yeah. Significant, you know, learning disabilities due to moving schools. I mean, we never started and finished a grade. So we bounced around two or three times in crucial years. So I remember one time you know, going to school and learning, you know, one times tables, two times tables. Then we move and they're on, you know, seven, eights and nines. Oh, and I'm like, wow, yeah. So I, I've always had a significant issue with, with mathematics and stuff and kind of typecast myself into believing that I would be following the same shoes. It'd be marriage and divorce. It'd be, oh, you know, whenever there's a problem, run from it. My oldest siblings followed that same pattern. You know, they, they all struggle with addiction. And when I was 20, about 20, 21 years old, um, I had what I call that rock bottom. It was in, it was February 9th of 1996. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided game over. Like, I don't yeah. want this, right? Really? I'm done. Um, and so there was some relapses and stuff, but I got very serious um, in 1996 about what I, doing what I call committing social suicide, which was walking away from all the friendships, everyone, and just going it alone. And it was kind of a crazy concept because I just never thought I would amount to anything. High school dropout, the whole nine. Well, I'm going through and I'm just doing the, you know, working to get by, moving out on my own, trying to, you know, spread some, some wings. I like to joke that my friends were Monica and Chandler and Ross, you know, those were <laughs> right. my friends. I hung out with them for yeah. an hour a day, you know, two episodes. Um, yeah. but I ended up getting a job working with youth at a, at a program in, in Orem. And, uh, it was a significant change for me because I was just a courier, which was a job to take them to and from their doctor's appointments, run them to airports for visits and stuff. Right. And as I'd be driving them, they'd start talking. And for some reason, I just kind of understand where they're coming from. And they'd say things like, man, my mom and dad are so mean. They sent me here. And I'm like, it's kind of cool. Your parents care enough to send you a place like this. Yeah, right. You know? And it was it was an interesting experience, but you know I'd lied in my application saying I had like graduated high school and you know wore the badge of like kind of keep your head low. Yeah. But I met this girl there. Um, her name's Marissa, and uh, she was a rec therapist over there. Okay. And I'm a high school dropout, and we started getting kind of <laughs> kind of friendly, and I kind of yeah. thought she was cool. But I had a lot of I had a lot of walls up. You know, yeah. learning yeah. how to mistrust people and just you know not understand how to do relationships. Um, I didn't realize that she was interested in, in me, Yeah. but I put up a wall and a lot of those were behind deceit and lies because I learned from the best. You know, if my mother told someone that the sky is blue, you better go out and look because she's yeah. not to be trusted. Mm. And she put us, my mom put us through such chaos and whatnot that when I started having the blinders come off a little bit, I started realizing like, I've been in a really sick 
family system. And I didn't know that until one night when all the walls started to tumble down when this girl wanted to get a little bit closer to me and she started realizing that things weren't matching up. Some of the stories oh, I was yeah, telling, some okay. of the, the things I tried to do to like, you know, make myself look bigger, better, faster, stronger was kind of like falling out beneath me. And it all came to a head when a, a, a mentor of mine pulled her aside and said, there's something deeper with Blue you might want to know. Mm. He's not done with school. He doesn't have these accolades. Um, and she questioned me one day while we were dating and she's like, you need to get some help. So I went into a, uh, I went into a therapist, um, the, the, my mentor, I didn't know what this was back then, but he was something called a bishop. And I had no idea what that was <laughs> growing up, right? Right. And so he said, hey, I've got this thing. I want you to go to you know, BYU Social Services or Elias Social Services and, and go to this therapist. So I go sitting down in this therapist's office for the very first time. And, and I wish I could find this guy. His name's Arlen. I wish I could find him. I don't know right. who he is, but yeah. if, if he's listening, I want to find him. Yeah. Because I told him my whole story. And at the very end of that first session, he said, I know what's wrong. He's like, mm. you don't really know who you are. And I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so I got up and I walked out and gave right. him a good day, sir. Yeah. Went back to my, my fiance's house at that time, Marissa. And I said, well, I'm done. She's like, what do you mean you're done? Like one session completely finished. Yeah, I'm good. And she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, really, it's it's a rhetorical question he asked me. It can't be answered. I think it's I think it's dumb. What did he What did he ask you? He don't want to know who I am. No one can answer that." And she said, "I can." And I'm like, "Oh, really? Who are you?" Yeah. Kind of being snotty. Yeah, right. And she did. She started telling me everything that was her, her morals, her values, her beliefs, her 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 dreams, all these things. And I'm now You're sitting going, here Whoa. as a 21 year old thinking what is this? I don't, yeah. I don't have, and it's, it kind of shook me a little bit. Mm. So I had to go back and apologize to Arlen and be like, okay, I guess I need help. <laughs> and just by me venting to him and, and being able to, to let go of some of this stuff and realize that I was severely abused, you know, yeah. carry scars on my body from abusive stepfathers and, and whatnot. And so when, wow. when we told the therapist, I'm going to get married, he's like, you might want to bring her in. And I'm like, no, you're going to talk around and marry me, right? Yeah. But she came in, and that first year of our dating relationship, her and I were completely like doing therapy. It was one of the best things. So we never had the, the, the honeymoon period, and then the masks come off. All that stuff happened beforehand. And I'm like, I'm such a strong advocate for people going into some kind of counseling before that, just because yeah, cause, no surprises. Because no one does that. Yeah. Who, who goes, well, let's do some therapy before we get together Nobody. and we get married. No one does that. Exactly. Wow, you know, and again, I love where you're going with this, and I love your story. Let's go. I want to ask you going back just a mm -hmm. little bit. You said you moved. Was it 22 times? 22 times. Um, I work with a lot of clients who are struggling in their, you know, adult years, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it stems back to they were moving all over the place. And yeah. you mentioned how it was affecting the way you were learning. Oh yeah. I also I hear a lot from clients, and I want to see if this was also part of it. Is you get you get attached to some of these friends. And you start feeling like you're included and you belong. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're moving again. Yep. And that's they talk about how it's like a traumatic experience for them. Did you feel that way as well? Did mm -hmm. you feel like, man, I finally got this friend group and now I've got to leave again? Yeah. And the significant issue behind that, because I knew they were always changing and I knew I had to make friends quick, that that's where I started to kind of really like become more, uh, I guess... I guess precise with what I'm telling these people and I would yeah. I would boost myself up and I would lie a lot because it didn't matter I needed to make friends fast 
And then it doesn't matter about the outcome because we're leaving. Yeah. And it started getting a little hairy when there were times that we could make rent and we were there for like, you know, six, <laughs> right. seven months. And I'm like, oh, crap. But that's kind of what happened where it does work that way. And so, yeah. and I got used to that and I didn't realize that I learned from the best. I learned from her, my mother. Yeah. You know, and a lot of hers was self-preservation. A lot of hers was like, you know, she was authentically hurt. Something had to have happened to her to want to leave and get married at age 14. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, yeah. I think my grandparents signed off on that. Like, I remember my oldest daughter turned 14 and I'm like, she can barely help out with household chores, let yeah, alone could, like. Yeah, could you imagine no. signing off on that with her? Yeah, no. right. <laughs> my mom passed away last August. And mm. unfortunately, because of the situation, we didn't have a good relationship. And it took yeah. about. About about a week and a half before I even realized she was gone, no one didn't, no one really told me. Wow! And I saw a picture of her as, as my sisters were going through some of their stuff uh, uh, that wedding day, and it, she looks like a baby. And I'm I'm holding that, and I'm thinking, what really happened in her home? Yeah. But you don't realize that as a kid. But sure. as I'm going through life and having poverty, and we're you know we're we're government cheese lines and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I got really angry at her and mm. about this, this father of mine that never showed up, Yeah, you know? And the crazy thing about that was, um, I remember all the times I would like fantasize, maybe he's going to come rescue us. Maybe he's going to give yeah. me some stability. And that, that fantasy after a while turns into anger mm. because I'm like, he yeah. really left. He's not coming back. Yeah. And I'd hear, they'd tell me stories about him. Oh, he's so abusive. And he, you know, he, he hit your, your siblings and he did this mm -hmm. to me. So then I really started getting like super vindictive with, with just like this emotional like tug of war. Um, and I had a, I had a very strong plan that if I ever saw him, I'd either a, you know, knock his teeth in yeah, right. or like yeah. spit on him or, or whatever. Right. Funny enough, after you know, after I got married and we were going on, I actually did get to meet him in person at my mm. grandmother's funeral, no less. Really? Never saw this person in my life. You're I was kidding. working at the Utah County Division of Substance Abuse, and I get this phone call from some lady called my Aunt Edna, which is so classic. I think this is a phone scam. Totally. Aunt Edna. Yeah, big, isn't that a vacation reference? It, Aunt I would, Edna from vacation? Completely. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, what? You know? Yeah. And she's like, I've been looking for you all over the place. And I'm like, who is this? And she's like, I'm your Aunt Edna, and your grandma so-and-so passed away, and we want you to be a pallbearer. And I'm like, what? And now I have two kids of my own at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. responsibility, I'll do this. But I knew that if his sister's going to be there, my dad would be there. Yeah. So the day comes, and I remember, I remember it was so crazy. At this point, I'm an adult. I'm in school to get my, my, uh, my LSAC back then, right, the licensed social abuse counselor. And I remember holding my two youngest kids, my daughter, Brooklyn, she's like six, and my other daughter, Savannah's four. And as we pulled up to this place where they're holding the funeral, I see all these people, and I'm holding my girls in both my arms like a human mm. shield. Yeah. And I come walking in, and I'm seeing all these people. Aunt Edna comes bouncing down, and she lives up to her name because she's this wiry, energetic woman. Yeah, right. And she's like, I'm your aunt, and this is your cousin. So these are people I've never seen before. Yeah. You know, and I'm like kind of blown away and, and almost like the Red Sea as I walk in, I see grandma there. I'm like, I don't know who she is. <laughs> yeah, right. These people split and there's this guy in front of me and I knew that's got to no. be him. Oh, that's got to be my father. So yeah, wow. I walked up to him and I put my girls down and in my head, I'm thinking, get your fist ready. You know, oh, you go really ahead, that. go ahead and, and get, get the phlegm up. You can spit on him, like tell him all the stuff that you wished he would have done. And then all that, because that anger fueled my addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like I could blame my substance use on poverty, on abuse, on neglect, all that stuff. I had great excuses yeah. to use. Wow. And as I was 
my brain was contemplating how we're going to hurt this guy. I, I reached my hand up and shook his hand. And I said, it's good to meet you. And I remember I'm like, what are you doing? Now's your time. But it was good to meet you. And it was instant forgiveness. And really, that's a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around because you yeah. can read books on forgiveness and we can teach it. And, but when it really happens, it's so universally personal yeah. that like, it's hard to explain. I can't really tell you because walking into that, I was going to tell him off. Yeah. You were going to punch him. And in a moment it was, it was gone. And, and wow. they have the funeral and at the very end he walks up to me and he says, he's like, um, oh, I really want to get to know you. And I said, that's okay. Cause I don't need you. I have a family of my own. I'll be two beautiful little girls there. And I said, but if you want a relationship with me, here, you know, here's my number. 19, 2006, never heard from him again. Really? That was our only interaction. But I felt wow. like, I felt like it was done then. Yeah. And my kids growing up now, they, they'll never understand like the significant pain that I went through. They'll never have to understand what that feels like. And to me, that's just as enough of a badge of honor than, than oh. having the traditional relationship. I'm like, absolutely, you know, I want to teach well, them. Absolutely. And, and you, you broke the cycle, if you will. Yeah. Like, cause you said growing up, you were like, I'm destined to be poor, mm-hmm. um, divorced, oh yeah, drug addict. I mean, all the, the list goes on, right? Yeah. And you, you go through some of those things cause oh, you're yeah. struggling, but yet you get through this and you break the cycle. And I've heard, I don't know exactly how it's said, but like breaking ge- cycles of generational uh, dysfunction yeah. is the single hardest thing any human being could ever go through. I believe that. Right. And 100%. you probably, you're living it, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and wow, yeah. what, a, what a incredible story. I mean, I really felt when you s- said, Hey, nice to meet you. I want to shake your hand kind of thing. That, yeah. just, that hit me so hard when you said that. It's kind of a crazy thing too, because we look at these points in time where, and I wish, I wish things could have been better with my, my own mother and whatnot, right. because there's yeah. nothing more that I would love to have her or someone that, that is my family look at what I'm doing and say, hey, good job. Like, yeah. you know, when I realized that my mother wasn't going to be an emotional like support for me, yeah. um, and I started really getting involved with my wife now, and, you know, we've been married now for you know, 25, almost 20, 24 years now. Oh, congratulations, by the and way. And I've completely blown all of them out of the water. I think my mom's <laughs> longest relationship was 10 years and yeah. my siblings were five years. Wow, and, that's incredible. And so there was something odd about me, I guess. But I remember when I was graduating college, I mean, I graduated, went back and got my, my high school diploma as an adult because my wife's like, hey, I think we need to get you, you know, get you some, some paperwork behind you. <laughs> and so I tried to prove her wrong. Like, watch how stupid I am. Like, you know, I can't yeah. do this. And so I yeah. graduated adult high school and I thought that's good enough. And then we went to, you know, UVU and she's like college. And I'm, no one in my family's ever stepped foot in college. So that was super overwhelming to me. Right. And I thought I was dumb because I didn't do math good and all this crazy stuff. And I started really having a little bit of a passion for it. It, it was hard, you know, sure. I mean, it oh. was not easy for me. And there yeah. was a lot of, a lot of classes that I skimmed by, but I made it and I thought, okay, that's good. You know? And then <laughs> mm-hmm. she's like, well, what would you think about a master's degree? I'm like, that doesn't even sound possible. Like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> but I did that too. And I, I remember know. when I graduated with my master's degree, it was one of the craziest things. My wife, my, my mom had moved back East with, with husband number six at this time. Mm. And it just so happened that I found out she was going to be in town for my graduation. And I'm like, 
you know, my sister Christy calls me. She says, Blue, mom's going to be here. I'm like, well, I'll invite her. And I hadn't seen her for years in between this. Yeah. yeah. Right. We had a conversation where she once told me, um, I don't want to ever speak to you again. I said, well, be careful because I'll honor that. And she hung up on me. And so oh. I wrote her a letter and said, this is why I'm upset. All I wanted was you to say sorry for the stuff you put us through. I mean, again, I carry scars on my body from sure. the husband you brought into our lives. And this letter that I kind of wrote her explained all that kind of stuff. Like, how help me understand why you'd put us in these situations. What were you going through? Just questions yeah. that weren't yeah. to invoke a fight, but more like help me understand. Yeah. And you know, six years went by, but I was graduating college. How crazy is this, right? A master's degree. And I call <laughs> right. her up and I'm like, you're here. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, my graduation's at the E-Center, right? Oh, Maverick Center now. I don't know what they call it nowadays. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, can you come? She's like, oh, well, my plane leaves at four. I'm like, that's great. It starts at 10. I mean, from the E-Center, you could walk to the airport in an hour. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and she's like, okay, yeah, well, let me see. Let me see. And so the day comes, I'm graduating. I look up and I can see my cute little family, my wife and my kids. Mm. And no mom. She never showed. Wow. And that was kind of like, I yeah. get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but those but kind of things. still painful. Though. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. isn't it weird as an adult, we still want that validation from yeah from a mom or a dad right. just to say, God, you're doing good. Yeah. How, how about you? Look at that. Yeah. But just never came. And so it was kind of a sad thing because when I drew that line and that boundary, because she was, you know, not really emotionally safe or, or, or really able to have a relationship, mm -hmm. it just, you know, yeah. took off. And then the sad thing is she didn't, she's never even, she never got to even meet my youngest son. Like she's never, she never even got yeah, to see him. Wow. That is sad. But I wanted to do the exact opposite. And I think because of that, we've been able to have an amazing relationship with my kids. I, I love being able to just to know them. And they're all getting older now. My oldest is 20. My youngest is 13. And it's just wild, like, the relationship that we have that yeah. they never did. And my biggest fear is that my kids won't understand that that wasn't easy for me. I didn't know how to be a dad. That's... Yeah. That was a scary thing. Sure. I mean, when I first had my daughter, Brooklyn, my oldest kid, I'm walking around with her on a pillow. Oh, she's newborn, and my wife's yeah. like, they're kind of rubbery. You're not going to hurt her. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, but dads hurt kids, right? And I'm thinking, how mm. can I hurt? Wow. It was just a subconscious thing. Like, I don't want to hurt her. Yeah. And so it was kind of one of those things like, oh, I guess I can hold her. I can't because I'm yeah. not going to hurt this kid. I mean, but I was scared because yeah. I had really crap examples of father figures. And so a dear friend of mine said, Blue, you just do the opposite of what you were taught. And I've always kept that close to my heart. And so that's kind of the uh, turbulent wow. childhood in a, in a very, uh, you know, nutshell version. Nutshell, yeah. I'm, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on still behind the scenes. You, you're obviously not able to share because of timing, but uh, thank you for mm -hmm. being vulnerable. Um, I can imagine, like you said, when you were a father for the first time, it's almost like, man, you even said it, you know, dads hurt kids. Mm-hmm. Because that was your experience. Absolutely. But yet, what I found interesting, and it chokes me up to even think about this, you're carrying this, your baby, your, your, yeah. your child around on a pillow. Yeah. Because you, even if you really thought that that's what dads do, you were proving to yourself, I'm not going to be gonna that dad. Yeah. I'm going to be the dad that actually is going to be overprotective of anything. That's true. You know? <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And, and that's funny because I have been too. I'm yeah. like, I've really been that that person for them, and we have a wow. great relationship, but yeah. You know, I'm a big believer that uh, life happens for us, mm -hmm. and as I'm hearing your story, 
And we're going to now hear kind of, I want to hear about Addict Athlete. Yeah. How that even came about. It's a crazy story there too. Absolutely. So let's tell our listeners what that is. Mm -hmm. Those that may not hear, you know, know about it and then kind of how it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. So Addict Athlete kind of stemmed from a necessity, really. I was working as a therapist for Utah County and, um, I was noticing that all of our drug court clients, they were responsible to attend their, their IOP and GOP sessions with, yeah. with me. Okay. And so that usually started at nine in the morning, went till noon, and then they'd have to go talk to their drug court you know, supervisor yeah. and that would be another hour. And then they'd have to go check in with their probation and then they'd have to go and, and see the judge once a week. And then they had to go to work and then they had to be assigned to three outside community meetings every week too. Mm. And so we'd hand them these little slips, and they'd have the chairperson of the twelve-step meetings kind of sign their their sheets. And and I, you know, when I first got into it, I'm like, "This is yeah, you guys have a very well-rounded you know yeah. recovery program going here." <laughs> well, not too long after I started, uh, I noticed a couple of my clients were were huddling around the back of a pickup when I came back from lunch once, <laughs> and I kind of snuck up behind them and like, "What are you guys doing?" And they're like, "You know, jump." Turn around and see me, and, and if you could believe this or not, they were forging their sign-off sheets to turn in. Like, they didn't attend these meetings. And I'm surprise, like, surprise, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, this is super like like you know, addict-type behavior. Yeah. And they're like, well, Blue Coot, we'll be honest with you, man. Like He's like, we, I don't have time. And I'm like, well, whenever someone says that, that's a lie. We always right. have time. What's yeah. your priority? What's the priority, yeah. And one of them kind of was like, you know, it's not a priority of mine. And now I'm thinking, well, it should be, but I'm in my uh, my my mind says you should yeah. be in my therapist's heart. I'm like, they're right. Like this is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Like we're occupying so much of their time, and my whole goal is to help them become these you know these role models, these parents back to their kids or their families. But they have zero time with them. Yeah. And then if they have to go somewhere that's not working for them, so I was thinking about that for a while, and. I know that for me, uh, mountain biking helped get me recovered. When I yeah. started working at that job as a courier, I started having this funny little thing called money because I wasn't spending it on stupid <laughs> things. Right. And I earned enough money to like kind of get a little nervous with it when you're mm -hmm. in early recovery and you have yeah. all this cash. It's not a good thing. Sure. And it's funny because this is just, you know, natural thinking, but I'm like, I went to the bike store in Provo and I handed them this big, thick wad of cash. I'm like, what can I get for this? And they're like, we'll show you. Yeah. They're all excited. Yeah. And they hooked me with this amazing mountain bike and I was so excited. I took it home and it was, it was wall art. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I didn't want the money, but I had this amazing mountain bike. And then one day I got, you know, after hanging out with my friends uh, for those, that hour, um, I'm, I just got on and started riding it. And I started riding around the foothills of Springville, got kind of deep up in this weird place in the mountains trying to ride my bike <laughs> and uh these guys come down and they're like on their mountain bikes and they look at me and they're like dude are you lost i'm like yeah in a lot of a lot of different ways yeah i had like a cut off shirt levi jeans you know, flip flops <laughs> I, I mean no helmet nothing they're like well follow us we'll take you down to the trailhead because i didn't really know so i was watching them there we're going down yeah and at the very bottom uh the, one of the guys looks over and says look we come up here all the time and you'd be more than happy to show you around up here. It's like, but first, you know, get a water bottle, <laughs> get a helmet, right? And, and, you know, we'll get some shoes because, yeah. you know, and I'm Flip like, flops oh, aren't going to cut. No. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, helmet might be a good idea. Oh, I love it. And so I went and bought a couple of mountain biking magazines, started reading about it, got all the cool stuff. And I kind of felt like, man, I'm, I'm a mountain biker now. And that hit me pretty hard. Like, you know, at that, that program I was working with youth, I used to take them to their 12-step meetings. And so I sat through hundreds of 12-step meetings yeah. as a staff, not telling anybody about anything, but listening. Yeah. And I really have a soft spot in my heart for the steps. 
Um, sure. There's some things that I'm like, eh, I can understand, you know. And so when I felt I was free in the mountains and riding this bike, uh, I started realizing this this principle that I carry today, which is movement equals healing. And instead mm. of just sitting talking about it, like our bodies yeah. are designed to move, we've got to move. Yeah. I started turning into a mountain biker. I no longer said, hello, I'm blue, I'm an addict. Now it's, hello, I'm blue, and I'm a mountain biker. I and it. I kind of kind of started thinking about this. Like if it helped me, maybe something like that would help them. I got into running with my, my wife's father. He was a big runner, and I yeah. thought running was for criminals, but that's <laughs> it's an easy thing to do, right? <laughs> totally. And so I started <laughs> running with him. I proposed this this little I idea with my my bosses Bruce Chandler and Rich Richard Nance. I said I want to take a f- group of people and just train them for a couch to five k. It's a little train for a race that was literally right outside our our yeah. group room on University Avenue. It was called the Chase the Mayor five k. Okay. They give Mayor John Curtis at the time a two minute head start, and then the athletes would chase him. I actually know John really well. Yeah. He doesn't realize how significant he is to addict to athlete, and he may not even realize that yeah. he even did this, but. So we're training for this 5K, and I go down, and I said, who wants to do this? I'm thinking about having a little group before our meeting. So you guys come at 8 instead of 9. We'll stretch out. We'll do couch to 5K program. Only 5 out of the 30 raise their hands, 4 guys and 1 girl. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. So we start training, and as we're training for this dumb little 5K, right, all of a sudden they start talking to me a bunch more. We're running, and they're like, you know, Blue, I've been thinking about my probation officer and what he said, or I've been thinking yeah. about like my, you know, my relationship with my dad. And we're having therapy sessions as we're running. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you guys talking to me about this stuff out here, but not in my awesome feng shui office? Like, right. you know, I'm like, this is public. And they're like, I don't know. I just feel like I need to get it off my shoulders. And so I didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we're, I'm just training them to run this 5K. Yeah, right, yeah. The day finally comes and all their families come to watch because they're like there's no way these guys are finishing this race they came to mock them all right yeah so there's the race right before they started um one of our guys tyson one of my original athletes he gave everybody a t-shirt that said addict to athlete and i'm like "Ooh, are you sure you want to wear this because remember this is 2011 yeah and i'm like i've been told that it's anonymity and you keep it quiet but they're like we're proud of what we're doing we want to show people who we are i'm like okay so we put these here we go addict to athlete racing for our recovery shirts on that they just made out of clip art those are the most hot shirts now. I mean, that's like one of them belongs in the Smithsonian. I swear people want those so vexed. It's yeah. so funny. They give Mayor John Curtis the go. Two minutes later, the whole pack chases him down and all but one athlete caught him. But the coolest thing happened. And this is why I don't think John realizes the magnitude of what he did. Um, and I've been trying to get him on my podcast too. But <laughs> as the first athlete passed him, John's like, hey, wait, what addict to athlete? What's that? And Tyson, one of my original athletes, then got to have a conversation with then the mayor of Provo wow. about his heroin use and about you know this yeah. this new thing he's doing. And I got thinking, I wonder if he thought I'm getting beat by a heroin addict. Like what? Like he <laughs> caught me? You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. I can only think of that. But he he kind of <laughs> made mention to that of a few other athletes that caught him. And you know, I'm sitting at the finish. They all come in. We're cheering. They had this. They had this huge like big boost of like wow we're doing something these yeah. strangers are cheering for them just because they they ran they felt so good in the, and their families were proud of them and it was just kind of a cool feeling so i thought okay cool one and done that was awesome yeah. well monday rolls around i get a call from my boss richard nance who says that the commissioners heard about what we did and i thought oh crap maybe yeah. one of them did slap the mayor's butt <laughs> on the way by it i'm thinking yeah, are I'm we in trouble. trouble here yeah and somehow mayor curtis had said something to someone that kind of got back to the commissioners about what we were doing the commissioners called my boss and they said this is pretty cool whatever it is we're, we're behind it and so wow. with they gave me a green light which i wasn't even expecting to do right and it turned into a, another resource another outlet for recovery 
that we practice a little bit different. We do things different than the 12 steps because that's sacred for that. Sure. You know, and so I tell people for the team and for the recreation, you come here for that spiritual component and that accountability. You go there. And if you're in you know, counseling or therapy, it's a triad of recovery. Love and it. we don't call Love ourselves addicts. We know it's a part of us, not who we are. And that was kind of a rough one in 2011 to help people understand, just to broaden their horizon. Yeah, I love because it. Because I'm a firm believer. Whatever comes after the I am is your absolute truth. And so it's got to be something positive. Amen to that. So that's kind of how it started. Now we have, what, about seven chapters in Utah. We've got a couple thousand athletes. We're outside of Utah now. We're, we're, so we're cool. at the state prison doing all kinds of stuff. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's amazing. Yeah, simple little thing, a simple little idea turns into this. And yeah. It's amazing how that works. I'm a big believer, too, that when we're doing the right things, good things start to kind of fall into place. Absolutely. And you had this great idea to help people, and you were just doing your part of, hey, trying to help some people, and look yeah. what happened, and look what you're doing today. I love it. I want to talk about, you, you hit something that I'm really passionate about as well, and I talk a lot about it on this podcast, mm-hmm. about you know, what follows I am, it follows you. And you said yeah. it's the most important truth and it should be something positive. I really do believe words have power. Yeah. Because I look at it this way, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Blue, on this, is like you and I used to be addicts. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. The truth is, as well, that we're both clean today. Yeah. So why would I label myself an addict right now? Because mm-hmm. the truth is I'm not. Exactly. And we're both smart enough to know that if we go back to our drug of choice or, or any drug for that matter, we're we're back in it. Yeah. We both understand oh, yeah. that. So what are your thoughts on that and the power of words and the narrative there? I'd love to hear what more on that. It's a big part of what we do on the team. Um, and we caught a lot of flack for that right at the beginning. I mean, <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> and, I, and I love it. And I know, love it, though, too. I was talking to Mary Jo over you, Sarah, <laughs> over at one of the recovery days. And mm-hmm. she introduced me to somebody and said, you know, Blue and an addict to athlete kind of led led the, the 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 first wave of these community support groups yeah. outside of that, and I thought that's, that's such a yeah. humbling thing to say. Totally, yeah. Because when we started when I started teaching, like guys, there's more to you than this. It was not easy for them to comprehend because they've kind of been told that that's what they are, and I'm like, well, I understand that, but you know, I'm a convert to the church, and I didn't realize the magnitude of, of again not knowing who you are, yeah. right? Right. And as I kind of grew into myself, I started realizing that we have to be careful with labeling ourselves with something negative. Now, we've got to know it exists. Sure. Like you oh, said, sure. we have to recognize yeah. that. But it, it's a part of us. It's not who we are. So now I'm a, I was an addict. Now I'm an, an, a mountain biker. Now I'm a runner. Now I'm a husband and a father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to prove the Lord has a sense of humor, I got called to serve as a bishop, but I'm like, I have no idea. I'm wow. only a convert to the church. I don't even know what this is. And so Boy, anything's possible, right? I'm telling you. <laughs> I did an interview with BYU TV once, and we were talking about addict to athlete, and when they found out I was a a serving bishop at that Uh time, and I had an addiction, he put his hand over his mic. He's like, should we be talking about this? I'm like, yeah. All my members see my car pull up with addict to athlete stickers, and half of them come to my meeting, so they all know. I love it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. But that's the thing, right, is I wanted them to start understanding that it's always going to be a part of us, and that that part of the addiction can bring great power, because everyone has a story. We say all the time on addict to athlete, let let that mess be turned into your message by our philosophy of erasing it and replacing it with something of greater value. And so yeah. it's been kind of fun Love to it. like see people grow into yeah. the, their I am and not have to just settle. Even yeah. our name, Addict 2 Athlete, we use the num- Roman numeral two for a specific reason. Uh, the, the Romans don't use, don't identify zero. You can never be less than one. Mm. And so it's not even registered. And so once, 
once you put you know, one and add the next one, it becomes a column and you can build on that. So it's a foundation. Oh. And so one is important, but two is even bigger because then you build structure off of that. Oh, and so it, we take a lot of, a, a lot of, I think, passion in understanding that the addiction's mm -hmm. always there and it can wake up. There's a trauma threshold that everyone has that if it gets crossed, that if we don't have our tools in place, we could probably slip again. Right. I talk a lot about that, like sure. trauma oh, yeah. threshold, losing one of my kids, tragedy. That would be really hard for me to maintain recovery. Yeah. But now I know lots of people that have unfortunately lived that trauma threshold, so I can't even use that as an excuse. So it's but possible. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, it'd be horrific to go through, but you're right. And if we ignore that fact that it's still in there somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, and that, believe it or not, that addict part of me helped me create addict to athlete because, you know, you flip the script. Yeah. You know, you create something out of nothing. If your client wants to get high but has no money and no means necessary, at the end of the day, they'll find it. Sure. That's kind of amazing. No, it's real amazing. You flip the script and say, now you can do something positive with the same principles, you know. Absolutely. There's no stopping them. Wow. I've, I, you know, I'm looking at your hat right now and the logo's yeah. on there. And I, I'm all, I love logos, by the way. Oh, And yeah. your logo looks great. Thank you. I love it. Yeah. Love yeah. And no, and, and thanks for kind of clarifying that. And I think... I think your approach that you're taking is, I mean, I'm, I think it's spot on oh, and I, thank I'm, you. I'm on board with it wholeheartedly. Um, I wanted to, I saw this this morning. I haven't shared it with anyone today and I thought, I thought of this podcast with you today and uh, I wanted to read this quote to you yeah. and love to hear your thoughts on it. It's kind awesome. of a long quote. As I you love can it. See, Let's go. But um, it's by James Allen. He's the one who wrote As a Man Thinketh. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is out of his book, um, Light on Life's Sorrows. And here's what he says. I'd love to hear your thoughts. When one has reached the lowest point of sorrow, when weak and exhausted and overcome with a sense of powerlessness, he cries to God for help, and there comes no answering comfort and no succor. Then, discovering the painfulness of sorrow and the insufficiency of prayer alone, he is ready to enter the path of self-renunciation, ready to purify his heart, ready to practice self-control, ready to become a spiritual athlete hmm. and to develop that divine invincible strength which is born of self-mastery. Oh man, Whew. I'm gonna have to take that, I love yeah. that. And what hit me is, you know, addict athlete that's mm -hmm. become a spiritual athlete. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just resonated with me and I thought, and after knowing mm -hmm. what you do for a living, I thought, man, it was really fitting. That is, that's amazing. Yeah. There's a lot there of power you. behind that. Thank yeah. you. I will keep yeah, this. There's a lot yours. of power behind that. And I think, you know, the the premise of Addict to Athlete, you know, one of the first things we wanted to do was help change the public's perception on who these folks are. Yeah. Like they're amazing people. And everyone For has sure. someone that yeah. struggles. Everyone yeah. does. Yeah. And so, you know, when we were able to start moving into these situations by which they can, you know, like start feeling the the power that they have by moving, yeah. amazing things start to happen. Yeah when we were running and all of a sudden they start telling me about their histories and they're telling me deeper things than they ever did. I thought I was breaking ground on new techniques, but really that yeah. spiritual awareness they were having by movement, left, right brain stimulation, which ended yeah. up being EMDR therapy. I had, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm creating this whole new path of like, you know, I'm like, we're talking, we're processing. Totally. totally. I go to get trained in EMDR therapy for trauma and I'm like, Oh, it's already been invented. <laughs> But what I notice is that, you know, when I'm working with these clients and they start feeling that movement, instead of just sitting there and saying, follow my hand, if, if we're walking, there's something stronger with that. And I, in, in my office, I have, yeah. do private counseling. I have a, two treadmills, one next to each other. And I've been doing some studying on like, which is faster, which has a better grasp and better hold. 
And I'm noticing that the people that are walking, A, they don't realize that it's happening. They don't, they just right. are walking. But yeah. B, it seems to take hold quicker because wow. the the, the awkwardness incredible. of it is all is gone. And so when I read this, you know, the whole principle and foundation yeah. of Addict Athlete is to, to, to show them like, you've got to move. Yeah. You can't just stay idle. You have to, you have to move. There's movement and healing and movement. I love this too, because I've seen people that have conquered these, these incredible races, ultra marathons. Right, yeah. right. And we got some flack from that at first. They're, they're thinking, Oh, you're just, you know, racing their addiction, but replacing it with a new one. And I'm like, right. well, I'd much rather have them be addicted to 5Ks than heroin. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I get where you're coming from. And yeah, balance in yeah. all things. I understand this. Yeah. And so we, we, we practice a lot of those, those principles. Sure. But I've watched my athletes. There was one, one young man um, who was just running up these hills, just crushing them. And he'd pass people. <laughs> and I'm like, how are you doing that? That, that's insane. I, I'm, my legs are on fire and you're just cruising up there like they're standing still. And he's like, Blue, it does hurt. But he said it doesn't hurt as bad as that first night at home when DCFS came and took my kids in the silence that resonated in my house. He's like, that hurt. Wow. He says it doesn't hurt as bad as that time I pushed it a little too far and I got you know shoved into a jail cell and the sound of the reverberation of that metal door slamming felt like it penetrated my heart. He's like, that hurt. Yeah. So when I'm running up these hills and it hurts, it doesn't hurt as bad as that. And to me, that's a spiritual awakening. That's Absolutely. kind of like yeah. they—they're feeling the 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 metaphoric change, and they're feeling the, the the emotional change. They're they're doing it, and then they have this line they cross. They they get their medal. They have something tangible, and sooner than later, they start coaching the next people. Yeah, and that's kind of what happens. I mean, addict to athlete, we we want people to get into that situation where they can feel like they can train and coach the next. Yeah, I get emotional. The next yeah. one's coming up because that's where. That's where the team cohesion comes from. So mm. it's a powerful quote, yeah. and it does purify heart and, and practice self-control. Because as, as one of my clients would say, that's a smoke hammer. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you, and thanks for those beautiful words you just shared. Mm. And man, I, you can just you can just tell your heart's ah, in this, man. It's beautiful. Thank you. It really is beautiful. I, I love it. it. Um, I want to ask you a question. If if someone is listening to you right now they're in a dark place they're they're not sure how to get out of it no matter what that reasons are that they're there in that dark place what would you tell that one person right now I would say it's time to it's time to move and we do it in three steps we hear it every time we heard it when we were kids we, we hear it when, you know, when we're, if we do high school sports you know track whatever the first one is to take your mark right any race begins with athletes take your mark there's something significant about taking your place, Ooh. like being able to move to that spot that is yours. Yeah, you know, and and you, you think about what taking your place, taking your mark is. Maybe that's you, you know, getting into that seat in a meeting. Maybe it's you know that seat in front of a therapist, or maybe Ooh. it's the seat in front of someone that you need to have a conversation with. But when athletes, you know, take your take your mark, take your place. It's, there's something big about that, because there's a spot there for you, Dang. and it's waiting. I love that. You have to move to get there. The next one is to get set, right? And getting set's kind of interesting because that means that now you're there, you've taken your place, and now getting set kind of means look at your goal. What's down there? What's at the end of this path that you want? You know, like focus. Block out all of the boos and all the mm -hmm. cheers. Let all that just be noise and just focus on what it is that you actually and authentically want. And then what do you really want? And then be ready to go. 
take your mark, get set, and go. And when that gun fires or that that horn blows, you move. Yeah. And movement equals healing. And it's one of the neatest things. And so it, the hardest thing is being realizing that you have a place. Yeah. You have take it. Does that make sense? And so Oh, it makes perfect yeah, sense. It's like, I love it. Don't just don't just wait. Yeah. Like take your place. So good. Yeah. Great advice. Well, thank it's you. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um so if someone wants to reach out to you blue and, and get to know more about your addict to athlete and just maybe even reach out to you for some help or yeah. To get to know you better, ask you a question, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the best way is to just jump on our website, addict2athlete.org. You'll find all of our all of our backlog podcasts, uh, content for your recovery, our, our blogs, our, our calendar of events. We have all kinds of stuff going on. And now that September's over, September's always a busy month with recovery right. month. Yeah. Um, you know, with our, our proxy 5K we do, and we did our very first um, softball tournament this year, and just a lot of, like, oh, cool. cool movement things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, our meeting schedules, you can attend one of our meetings. They're all free. Uh, and we have just about as many people that don't have addictions at all. We call them the muggles, right, the non-magic <laughs> folk, because they have someone in their family on their it. team that, yeah. that's hurting. Yeah. And so we, we don't I split them it. apart like traditional meetings. I want them to learn from each other. And it's funny because you can't really even tell. We have just about as many people that don't use that come that do. And it's kind of a yeah. funny thing. And they, yeah. they do, they bounce off each other. And then our minor league program, which is our 18 year and younger kids. Okay. We just support the crud out of those kids. We want to get them involved in swimming and, and biking and running. Um, and all of our schedules on addict2athlete.org, the goal is there is to help you strengthen your own home team so that you have a home court advantage in, in recovering in life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our sober coaching programs are up. Everything's there. All of our okay. contact information. It's, it's kind of a right. one-stop shop. One stop, that makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it easy. And I'll put I'll put the links in the show notes. And so it'll be easy for our listeners to get awesome. there and click and, and get involved. And I, I, you know, I encourage anyone listening to this right now, get involved support yeah. blue in this cause and even if like you said even if you're not an addict some everyone knows someone who's struggling in this area mm -hmm. you know join one of these runs one of these races one of these community events that you're doing and yeah and get involved and it'll be awesome absolutely think, right yep we'd love to have anyone and everyone <laughs> yeah well blue i i can't thank you enough for taking some time My out of pleasure. your schedule to be with me today this has been long overdue <laughs> thank that you we're finally doing this so thank you for doing this My and pleasure. for all the good you're doing i i really am impressed thank you i truly am and going back to what i said earlier i kind of i teed it up a little bit about life happens for you all that stuff all the hell you went through all the dysfunction all of it led to you being this person who's making a difference in so many people's lives you wouldn't be in this position had you not gone through it right nope so how cool is that all necessary steps to get all where we are necessary stuff. Mm -hmm. i heard from a client uh that's here currently here at wasatch yesterday say the obstacle in the way is the way. Yeah. And I thought, wow, thanks for sharing. I mean, that that just clicked. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're right. That's it. Here's your obstacle. Okay. It's in your way. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's like, it's, like your, it's like your Spartan races over here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's all metaphorically connected. I love it. For sure. So, well, you're, you're awesome, Blue. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Right. Blue Robinson, guys. Here he is <laughs> in the flesh. And I'm grateful to be rubbing shoulders with you. I want to help support any way I can. Uh, if you have someone who's struggling with addiction or any reason whatsoever, you're not sure how to talk to them, send them a link to this episode and it'll break the ice. And then mm. you can follow up with them and say, hey, what did you think? What did you think of what Blue said? And, and then maybe get them out to one of these events that Blue's doing or one of these 
um, meetings that they do um, just to kind of break the ice a little bit, you know, introduce yourself to Blue. And obviously you can tell he's a great guy. And, <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so I love you guys. Thanks for the support. Again, thanks to my sponsors. I love you guys. And again, thanks for all your, you know, belief in me. It means more than I can you know, express in words. So Blue, once again, thanks for all you do. Oh, it's been an honor. Thank you, brother. You bet. Take care, everyone. Thank you.